So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Star Wars 7x7 episode 3191. Chapter 21 of The Mandalorian is called The Pirate. It wraps up a couple of threads of the season so far and puts us into, well, pretty much uncharted territory, along with dishing out a huge surprise. Punch it. Hey Rebel Razor, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So we're going to do our patented 7 takeaway breakdown of the latest episode of The Mandalorian. This is Chapter 21, The Pirate, or Season 3, Episode 5, if you prefer. First takeaway has to do with the pirate storyline that was introduced to us in the very first episode of the third season. Well, that is pretty much wrapped up by now. Yes, of course, Vane, the lieutenant for this pirate nation gang has escaped and maybe he's going to connect with some other pirates somewhere but it seems like he's probably not going to be a very big menace to any of our characters for the rest of the season the pirate nation has been defeated it's king gorian shard has been defeated and it certainly was an action-packed situation, wasn't it? The fun things about it, including the fact that pirates are getting drunk and shooting at Kowaki and monkey lizards, and the monkey lizards don't forget a slight like that. So when the Mandalorians come looking for the pirates, one of the monkey lizards is like, look over there, they're over there, like warning them for the ambush. So yeah, that's what you get when you try to shoot monkey lizards. Don't mess with them. And then we get to see the armor in action once again. The last time that we got to see the armor really do some damage was at the end of season one of the Mandalorian. This time she sneaks up into what the pirates turn into a sniper's nest. They basically turn high magistrate Grief Karga's office into a sniper's nest and she sneaks in with her tongs and her hammer and whacks the heck out of everybody. Well done. And very fun that that hammer actually also serves as a talking stick when all the Mandalorians meet together in the covert to discuss whether they are going to go help Grief Karga earlier in the episode. And that happens. They get notified that this is happening because of the return of Carson Teva. And this is where we get to our second takeaway, which is what's going on with the New Republic these days. So yes, we've been given the idea that the New Republic was struggling, but again, that came from Elliot Kane. So the source kind of puts us in doubt a little bit. What we find instead is a New Republic kind of mired in bureaucracy and with member states whose requests for aid are piling up and they can't deal with all of those. And so anyone that isn't part of the New Republic, well, yeah, they're basically going to have to wait. And there's a great tense exchange between Carson Teva and Elliot Kane about that, about whether, you know, you're making these independent worlds suffer in order to give them the idea that, oh, it's a good idea to join the Republic versus just doing something really awesome for them and showing them why it's a good idea. It's kind of a, a moot argument for the two of them to be having at this point because bad things are already happening 
on Navarro anyway. If they're going to get the idea of joining the New Republic because it sucks to not be protected by the New Republic, well, they've already got that idea. So we don't necessarily need that philosophical argument. But it was fun to see Tim Meadows show up as a overly pressed for time and otherwise distressed and distracted officer for the New Republic. It's, you know, it takes you out of it maybe just the slightest bit, but it's still fun nonetheless. And that Adelphi base that we see, by the way, seems like it's a little bit less developed than, you know, I was thinking back to Shadow of the Sith because Adelphi gets mentioned in there and obviously we don't get to see it because it's in book form, but it sounds like a bigger deal in Shadow of the Sith, which takes place many years after this. So yeah, now we're seeing sort of like the early days of Adelphi base, it feels like. And also Carson Teva identifies himself to the Mandalorians as being part of the Delphi Rangers, which of course waves a giant red flag for us. It makes you think immediately of the Rangers of the New Republic series, which as far as we know was indefinitely shelved. But the fact that they came back with that phrase, you know, they don't do these things by accident. So it just, ah, you know, opens up your mind and lets you wonder a little bit if, oh, you know, might this actually be a thing after all? Is there potentially still life in some sort of Rangers idea? Although I will say it strains credulity a little bit to say that R5-D4 was the one who alerted Carson Teva to the Covert's whereabouts. Like, how did that happen exactly? Like, where was the connection between them? Uh, yeah, that's one of those where, like, you know, the plot's going fast enough that maybe you don't... <laughs> question it too closely, but there you go. So third takeaway has to do with that Mandalorian covert and specifically with Mando's place in it, Din Djarin's place in it. So this is ostensibly a series about the Mandalorian, although it is as we've seen, expanding its scope. But the Mandalorian is now just one part of this covert and is making this plea to the rest of the covert to you know, go help brief Karga and gives us a nice recap of the series, which is you know very cool. But the Paz Vizsla moment, I think, is the standout for me in that scene where he says, yeah, you know, I you know, have fought beside him. He saved my kid. Like he's done honorable things and we're working toward you know, delivering a brighter future, not just for us, but for the galaxy in general. So yeah, let's go do it. And so certainly the Mandalorian is inspiring in that regard, but he's still kind of a minor player in this whole situation because he isn't even the, you know, part, he isn't necessarily planning the raid down on Navarro. He is just part of the, you know, the flying cover along with Bo-Katan. Yeah, there's just something about the way that he has been sidelined is not exactly the word I'm looking for, but just, you know, his role as the title character of the series has definitely been you know, getting smaller as we've been proceeding along. Which brings me to the fourth takeaway for the person whose role has been getting exceedingly larger, and that's Bogotan, who is getting time as the person who's directing the strategy for all of the Mandalorians to attack Navarro and defeat these pirates. And she's the one who the armorer thinks is the person to unite the Mandalorians, which is 
kind of something maybe we saw coming, just that Bo-Katan was stepping up into a greater leadership role, and now the armor is basically endorsing her as a leader of Mandalorians, somebody who can unite both people who are walking the way and people who are not walking the way of the Mandalore. This really does put her in sort of direct opposition to Din Djarin in in the idea of him carrying the lightsaber or the darksaber gosh what's wrong with me carrying the darksaber and being recognized as the heir to the throne of mandalore and as we've been talking about in previous episodes kind of setting up a fight a duel between bo-katan and din Djarin. in fact this is something that you know Paz set out to do for himself in the book of boba fett the armorer just kind of stood by and watched and said, yeah, if that's the way it's going to work, that's the way it's going to work, and we'll see who wins. Now I would get a feeling that the armorer herself might actually encourage Bo to challenge Din Djarin for the Darksaber and for that right. And, you know, I might consider that, but there was also the fact that as the armorer talked about Bo-Katan having the sword and the legacy of her house and whatnot, that maybe that wasn't necessarily enough. But it seems like the armorer now having witnessed Bo-Katan in multiple situations and in you know, very odds against circumstances is now kind of on Bo-Katan's side. The idea of Bo-Katan having seen the mythosaur, though, that adds to it, but... The armorer also said that she thought it was only legends and she actually believes that Bo-Katan saw it, that it isn't just something Bo-Katan is saying. That level of trust is significant for their relationship as well and for how the armorer is thinking about reconstituting Mandalorian society. All right, for the fifth takeaway, let's talk about that stinger at the end of the episode. So Carson Teva finds the derelict Imperial shuttle and there's a shard of Beskar in a control panel. Now, the rest of the dialogue that happens, it's a little bit confusing, but basically what we know for sure is that Moff Gideon does seem to have escaped from New Republic custody. There's mention of a New Republic in transport being in the area. There are flight logs in the area, but that ship has disappeared and it's classified. The information about that is inaccessible to Carson Teva or his pal, Lieutenant Reed, who we also met in the book of Boba Fett. And the question, I think, is whether Moff Gideon had been you know, taken off of that transport by Imperials, and then that was that Imperial shuttle, and then the shuttle was potentially attacked by Mandalorians, and Moff Gideon may have been kidnapped by them? Or are we meant to think, and is the New Republic meant to think, that Mandalorians are now in possession of Moff Gideon? Seems awfully suspicious to me to see a Beskar shard in a control panel. I mean, Beskar doesn't just, you know, break off in brittle pieces or anything like that. So it's really an unusual kind of thing. But for a sixth takeaway, I'll say that we are now almost entirely at the point where we are in unexplored territory for the Mandalorian. There's only one scene in the trailer and the teaser that we haven't seen yet in the episodes, and that is that droid bar where, you know, the door opens and there's all sorts of different droids and they all look up and around. Like, those droid bar moments are the only things we've yet to see in Season 3 of The Mandalorian, which means that we have basically three whole episodes where we have no sense at all of what's going to happen or where things are going. 
But we are getting the idea that we will find out the fate of Moff Gideon. I mean, Giancarlo Esposito hasn't appeared in the season yet so far, and we know he filmed for it, so we've got to see him at some point. And whether Bo-Katan is going to reconnect with the Mandalorians that left her, as we found out at the beginning of the season, or if it's going to be even more Mandalorians and different Mandalorians. And hopefully we'll also find out what Elliot Kane is really up to inside the Amnesty program, if she is really trying to reform or if she's up to some other greater nefarious plot. Where she is stationed right now in the department that she's working within, it seems to me like it would be pretty easy for her with, you know, the right equipment, the right access, the right, you know, everything. But she's in the right place at the right time to be able to find out what was going on with Moff Gideon and to somehow be involved in his escape. And for a seventh and final takeaway, well, how can we not talk about the wildest set of cameos? So in the foreground of a shot and just barely out of focus, we get to see three familiar folks on a Delphi station inside that makeshift bar. We get to see Jib Dodger, Sash Cutter, and Trapper Wolf. Yes, that would be Rick Famuyiwa, Deborah Chow, and Dave Filoni are in the bar in their New Republic pilot outfits, costumes, characters, <laughs> what have you, having a drink at the bar, which is kind of fun and sort of a blink and you'll miss it kind of situation. But the big one is that Lasat pilot who comes over to talk to Carson Teva. Yes, that is in fact Zeb from Star Wars Rebels. So the band is really being assembled. And I went digging to look at pilot uniforms. He's wearing basically a blue version of the New Republic pilot's uniform that Poe Dameron wears, or I guess it's technically a resistance uniform when we see it in the sequel movies. But I was wondering whether he was flying an X-Wing or an A-Wing because he's definitely in pilot's gear. And it looks like from the ships that were on the ground at Adelphi and that were flying around that we're only seeing X-Wings and Y-Wings there. And then, you know, there's the whole thing of typically the A-wing pilots are in red uniforms generally speaking and B-wing pilots are in green uniforms and so we're kind of blue-gray with Y-wing pilots but then again there was also blue squadron that we saw in Rogue One which was a mix of X-wing and Y-wing and U-wing pilots and they all had similar flight suit situations from a color perspective not necessarily from a gear perspective so yeah that's all running through my head as well but between a view apparently of Harrison Dula in Ahsoka footage to the knowledge that Sabine Wren has been cast to now seeing Zeb in The Mandalorian to hear at least, you know, rumors not necessarily confirmed that Ezra Bridger has been cast. This is some pretty insane stuff. <laughs> And so, yeah, very exciting to be sure. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into Zeb in tomorrow's deep dive episode. But for now, those are the major takeaways to keep in mind for Chapter 21, The Pirate, which is also Episode 5 of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. And that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it. As always, I may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. 
7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders, may the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 